This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. Senate Democrats announcing an upcoming bill to counter China. What are the goals? Stopping the U.S. from serving as financial lifeblood for Beijing, shoring up America's key industries, and showing commitment to Taiwan. But there's even more to the story. A China competition bill passed last year is facing strong pushback. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Before we dive into today's news, make sure to use the link below to subscribe to our newsletter. Each week, we'll round up the highlights and controversies happening around China and the world and share an exclusive behind-the-scenes snapshot with our readers. Keep an eye out. The newsletter will land in your inbox Friday morning. A new push to counter China. Senate Democrats announced that a new bill to bolster the U.S. against Chinese competition is in the works. Time's not on our side. The Xi regime is working every day to catch up and surpass the United States. Schumer saying the bill would focus on several areas, ultimately limiting advanced U.S. technology and investment from flowing into China. It's incumbent on us to ensure that the U.S. is not the financial lifeblood supporting the Chinese government and its military technological advancement. What's more, the bill also aims to fund key domestic industries like bioscience. It would also support allies so that America remains their preferred economic partner. That's to counter China's Belt and Road Initiative, a global investment project where China loans out billions of dollars to countries to build highways, railroads and other framework. But Beijing often seizes those strategic assets, like seaports, after countries fail to pay back their debt. If passed, the upcoming bill would also reaffirm the U.S.'s commitment to Taiwan. Schumer said Senate Democrats have reached out to Republicans and that he hopes the bill would be ready in a few months. He noted that the Chips and Science Act passed last year built a strong foundation. That bill includes over $50 billion in subsidies to boost America's semiconductor production. The story doesn't end there, though. That subsidy comes with strings attached and is facing pushback from big industry players. The CHIPS Act requires companies to share part of their profits with the U.S. government if they received over $150 million in subsidies and made more money than expected. Some of the conditions are unacceptable, and we would continue discussion with the U.S. government. Liu said that those conditions could discourage chipmakers from working with Washington to expand production in the U.S. A few South Korean microchip makers voiced similar concerns. TSMC looks to invest over $40 billion in two factories in Arizona. The U.S. Commerce Department said the profit-sharing requirement might be waived in exceptional circumstances. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo said the U.S. won't write blank checks to any company that asks. And on Capitol Hill, the Senate passed a bipartisan bill yesterday. It's designed to hold the Chinese Communist Party accountable for solar panel parts, often made with forced labor. But President Biden said earlier he would veto the bill. If he does, it could spell good news for Chinese companies. NTD's Melina Weiskup has the story on Capitol Hill. 
So Democrats are split on this issue, but some are not shy in expressing their opposition to the White House. And we saw that with yesterday's vote, with a good handful of Democrats joining with the GOP on this vote. We'll get into the Democrats' response a bit later, but first I want to show you what Senator Rick Scott told me about why he prioritized pushing a vote on this. Watch. These tariffs were created back in 2012 as a result of Chinese solar panel companies using slave labor, uh, selling them in this country. They were they were dumping them on, on on this economy to kill our jobs. On top of that, they were subsidized by the Chinese government. Now what we found is these same companies were sending uh, to get away from the tariffs. They're sending them down to Southeast Asia and shipping them here. The Biden Commerce Department caught them. Right? And then Biden says, oh, no, don't worry about that slave labor. Don't worry about them violating our laws. We're going to give them a two-year reprieve. That's wrong. Now, like I mentioned earlier, there are some Democrats who are aligning themselves with Senator Scott's position here because they say that waiving these tariffs undermines our human rights standards, but it also forces American solar panel manufacturers to compete with cheap slave labor from China. Now, other Democrats argue that American manufacturers would be burdened if these tariffs were reimposed. However, one Democrat senator, Sherrod Brown, shared on the Senate floor ahead of yesterday's vote that he feels the exact opposite way. We'll show you what Senator Brown said, as well as an exchange I had with Senate Leader Chuck Schumer yesterday on this very issue. In the end, it's a simple choice. Whose side are you on? Are you the side of the Chinese Communist Party or the side of American workers? And that, to me, what is what this vote is about today, uh, to continue um, these tariffs on China, because as long as they keep cheating, as long as American companies are willing to, um, to take the products from s slave labor and underpaid labor and exploited labor and bring them into this country. These, these problems will continue for our industrial base. Do you think it was a mistake for Biden to waive those no, tariffs? No, the two years, look, either way, whether there's a two-year extension or not, the chip, chip manufacturing and battery manufacturing is flocking to the United States. So as you just saw, Senate Leader Chuck Schumer kind of pivoted and avoided directly answering my question. And one reason why Democrats may be hesitant to speak out about this is because it does directly counter the White House's rule here. Now, the House has already passed a similar resolution overturning Biden's rule. So President Biden says he will veto this, in which case Congress will need to take action again and more Democrats would need to jump ship in order to officially override the president's veto. Now, the ball's in President Joe Biden's court. The White House has said he will veto the joint resolution, warning the tariffs would harm the solar installation market. If Biden does veto the measure, Chinese solar panels would have an easier time getting sold to the U.S. through other Asian countries. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says he hopes to reschedule a visit to China this year. He had originally planned to visit in February of this year. Here's his statement during an interview with the Washington Post. You had a trip that was scheduled to China that you postponed because of the Chinese spy balloon. And I have to ask you, in a period where there seems to be some warming of relations between the United States, the beginning of, of a thaw, are you hopeful that you may be able to reschedule that trip this year? Uh, I am, and I think it's uh, important, as President Biden laid out uh, in, in Bali when he was with President Xi at the end of last year, that we um, reestablish regular lines of communication uh, at all levels and across our government. 
Blinken reiterated that the U.S. is competing with China and that Washington is trying to make sure that competition doesn't veer into conflict. And that starts with uh, engagement. That starts with uh, communicating. It starts with trying to um, make sure, again, that uh, we don't veer into conflict. Last month, the Financial Times reported that China refused to let Blinken visit Beijing over concerns that the FBI would release the results of an investigation into the Chinese spy balloon. Earlier this year, Blinken said he would pursue a visit to China when the conditions are right. The founder of the world's largest hedge fund warning that the United States and China are on the brink of war and past the point of discussion. Billionaire Ray Dalio made the remark last week after his recent trips to China. Dalio has a net worth of $19 billion. That's based on Forbes' estimate. In a LinkedIn post, he shared that he has been traveling to China for decades, but noted his two recent trips to China, lasting 13 days, have given him another perspective. During those visits, he met and spoke with people from a variety of backgrounds. Here's what his post covered. Dalio emphasized that the two countries are on the brink, but noted that doesn't mean they will necessarily go past that brink. He pointed out that the purpose of his memo is to describe what he believes to be true as accurately as he can without biased assessments of who is doing what right or wrong. He continued to say that his goal was simply to increase understanding to help minimize miscalculations. As for politics, Dalio stated the United States is not united and the Biden administration is not in control of dealing with China because the U.S. political decision-making system is fragmented. He also commented on the upcoming 2024 presidential election, saying the hawkish political influences in the United States will exert more pressure on the relationship over the next 18 months, and that will be a very risky period. Beyond that, he mentioned the possibility of yet another kind of conflict, writing that we are on the brink of an economic resources war. Such a battle would center around lithium, cobalt and rare earths, plus the wafers and cells used in solar energy technology. All that said, Dalio noted he doesn't believe the Chinese Communist Party wants to go to war. He pointed out that in his view, China's reactions won't be strong enough to prompt a war in the near future, meaning the next few years. Dalio's opinion appears to echo sentiments in Taiwan. According to a recent survey, almost half of Taiwanese residents believe war with China within the next decade is unlikely. Just 34 percent said it is likely, while 19 percent stated they have no opinion on it. As Beijing cranks up its war propaganda against Taiwan, a trend on the opposite side seems to be creeping in at home. A recent anti-war post has taken Chinese social media by storm, striking a chord with numerous citizens. Here's a closer look. The post reads, if the war breaks out, I will not go, and I will not let my children go. I am a person who lives at the bottom of society. No one remembers us in times of peace. Only in times of difficulty do they just begin to think of us. They say that when the country is in trouble, everyone needs to fulfill their duty. But they are not giving us the same treatment when they receive benefits or enjoy national privileges. Social media users echoed a similar sentiment in their comments. One wrote, The children and wives of high-ranking officials have all moved to the United States. Why should we, the common people, have to risk our lives to go to war for them? Others suggested that city management personnel or other state officials should be sent to fight first. 
A China Affairs commentator said the remarks indicate that Chinese people are waking up to the communist regime's dictatorial rule. The country is under one-party rule. If they want to fight a war, go fight it. It has nothing to do with us, the people. How can we possibly die for the party when we are desperate for a strong external force to set us free? Lai explained that if the state does not protect the people, the people won't defend the state. He added a possible Chinese regime attack on Taiwan wouldn't present a just cause. It's a blatant invasion. To fight this war in the name of protecting the nation is nothing less than bandits committing plunder and murder. One internet user from mainland China said the regime has wrecked the economy and caused immense suffering. Once they go to the front, people would either surrender or turn their guns around. That's why the Chinese communists don't dare to fight. This isn't the first time anti-war sentiment has flared up in China. In February, an article posted the question, If the motherland has the need, will you go to the front line? Many commented, let the officials go first. Or, if I get conscripted, I will rebel since I have a gun in my hand. An urgent call for help from a Chinese NTD contributor. Zhou Yu hosts a military program for NTD's Chinese language channel. Zhou is calling on Beijing to release his father after he was sentenced to eight years behind bars. His crime, practicing his spiritual belief, Falun Gong. Here are the details. Zhou Yu lives a double life, writing software codes by day hosting a Chinese military channel by night. And now he's taken on a third role, trying to rescue his father from a Chinese detention center an ocean away. This is just unfair. This is outrageous. My father did nothing, but he will be in prison for eight years. My father is already 62 years old. So when he is out, he will be almost 70. I don't know even what, when will be the next time I see my father. Two weeks ago, Chinese authorities sentenced his father, Zhou Deyong, to eight years in prison for practicing the spiritual meditation discipline Falun Gong. Falun Gong is based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. The meditation practice has been the target of a Beijing-run persecution campaign for over two decades. Millions of practitioners have been thrown in jail and tortured. At least 4,000 have been killed. An unclear number have had their organs harvested by force for sale in China's underground organ transplant market. His son believes Chinese authorities handed out the sentence because of his own influence. Zhou Yu hosts a top Chinese YouTube channel focusing on military and defense news. I talk about a lot about Taiwan, a lot about what happened in Ukraine, and it may also put me on their radar. And by sentencing my father is another way to punishing me. Zhou's father has been detained for over two years. In 2021, police broke into his home and raided his property without a search warrant. Chinese police also denied Zhou's father's access to legal help. So the next thing I do is I'm trying to call the local prosecutor's office. I'm telling them that I live in America and I already talked to my congressman, Bidurakis, and my congressman has already written a letter to President Xi to just to inquire about my father's situation. And it worked. Soon after, police officers allowed the lawyer to meet with Joe's father. The man is now being held in a detention center, though his lawyer says his health is declining. As for Joe himself, life hasn't been the same since his father was arrested. What happened to my father put a lot of pressure on myself and on my family because, you know, 
father is in prison. We don't know the well-being of him, and we cannot talk to him. It has been two years, and something worse, something bad might happen to him. U.S. lawmakers have stepped in to help. Eight congressmen, including Florida Senator Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, sent U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken a letter urging the State Department to raise Joe's father's case with Beijing. The State Department responded that officials would take the opportunity where appropriate to communicate with China. Joe says he hopes the State Department will take action. NTD News, New York. Time's almost up on Italy's partnership with China's Belt and Road Initiative, and a top Italian official says his country is unlikely to renew the deal. Though he notes a formal decision would come only after the Group of Seven summit this month, hosted by Japan. Italy joined Beijing's far-reaching infrastructure project back in 2019. It's the only G7 nation to sign on. Opponents feared it would give Beijing control over the nation's critical infrastructure and open the door to intellectual property theft. But the nation's then-leader saw it as an opportunity to boost the Italian economy. Though the deal appears to have had the opposite effect. Italian exports to China hit $18 billion in 2022, a rise of under $4 billion since signing the deal. But on the Chinese side, Chinese exports to Italy jumped over $28 billion in the same time frame, from nearly 35 in 2019 to a whopping 63 last year. The current Belt and Road Agreement ends in March 2024. Normally, it automatically renews. That's unless either China or Italy decides to back out. The senior official explained the uneven economic numbers would help argue the case not to renew. Prime Minister Giorgia Meloni's office declined to comment. Coming up, a tool designed as a helping hand, but now a possible double-edged sword. Imagine artificial intelligence bots like ChatGPT in the hands of an authoritarian regime like China. We spoke to Rex Lee, cybersecurity advisor at MySmart Privacy, to find out more on what that could mean. His comments after the break, here on China In Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. ChatGPT, the new form of AI, has been making headlines. But what would happen if it crossed paths with an authoritarian regime? Could it be used for harm? We spoke to Rex Lee, cybersecurity advisor at MySmart Privacy, for his take. Rex Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you, Tiffany, for having me. So there seems to be a lot of focus on AI recently. There's ChatGPT in the headlines. But first, I want to start with the godfather of AI, Jeffrey Hinton, who quit Google. He was warning about the end of humanity. So what are his concerns? Is this fear-mongering, or are his concerns legit? His main concern, uh, which is uh, which should be everybody's concern, is about the centralization of AI um, uh, regarding uh, big tech. Uh, and one of his concerns was that uh, Microsoft had launched uh, OpenAI's ChatGPT ahead of Google's Bard, which is their chat bot. And he felt that uh, Google was rushing it to market to compete against uh, Microsoft. That was one of the um, uh, concerns. His other concern, which is I think everybody's concern, and, and this is a legitimate concern, is the ability for AI ChatGPT 
um, or AI in general to be used to spread misinformation and disinformation um, over the internet. And again, I don't want to get too deep into these threats because we're going to talk about them a little bit more in detail, just covering what his, his uh, concerns were. Also, uh, another big concern is the elimination of jobs, you know, that uh, uh, this technology can uh, and will eliminate a lot of jobs that are out there. That's becoming a bigger uh, concern, I think, with most people who are doing jobs today that uh, an automated uh, computer chatbot can do, mainly in the area of customer service, but also in computer programming. And Rex, expanding on that, what's maybe the biggest difference between what we're seeing here and browsers? Because, for instance, you mentioned misinformation earlier. It seems right now when we put something in Google, you can see where the sources are coming from. But there's been some reports in regards to ChatGPT where they give you a source that looks like maybe a Guardian article, but the Guardian never published that article. So what are we seeing here? So exactly. Now let, let's go back to how it how it all works. As you know, I work in the app and platform development industry. I've also uh, filed patents based on a similar technology, uh, basically a, a, a chatbot technology for an automatic contract reader, which would read legal agreements. So when you clicked on "I agree," you could run that through the uh, reader, and it would um, tell you. Uh, whether the contract was a predatory contract or it was a good contract to sign and so forth. So basically that's that's how it's operating. So you have to train it. Herein lies the what I believe is the biggest threat um, and the biggest concern is the human factor that it's it's pre-trained just like in its own definition it has to be trained who's going to train it? Humans are going to train it. Now imagine um, a government, uh, uh, in charge of this technology or, um, you know, oppressive governments like the um, uh, China or Russia or the CCP with this technology. Again, it's being trained by humans. Right now we have humans who uh, have a profit motive that are training this uh, technology with Google and Microsoft, you know, but now, you know, mix in uh, a government and then it becomes more, much more of a threat. And Rex, to your point too, Jeffrey Hinton, the godfather of AI, was also telling the New York Times about that exact danger about bad actors training these systems. And what are we seeing coming out of China? Because you brought up China and Russia. So what are we seeing in terms of China's version of these chatbots? Well, they, they you know, you can you can program a political bias, you know, you know, in the West, we're programming our chatbots um, um, with a political ideology based on capitalism and freedom of expression, hopefully, uh, you know, more and more, the West is looking more and more like the East in terms of censorship of news and stuff. And this is something that Elon Musk brought up uh, in several interviews that he did with Tucker Carlson and uh, Bill Maher um, over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, so, you know, if you if you look at this in the hands of a government like China and the CCP and then imagine them programming the technology to oppress or suppress human rights and also um, to censor stories and or identify dissenters on the Internet and so forth so that they can find those people and arrest them. Um, you know, then it becomes a huge threat. You know, imagine now you have over um, 100 million uh, TikTok users in the United States that are already being influenced by China and the CCP through the through the platform. But now, you know, that's you know, think of it this way: they're being influenced um, at the at the speed of a, a jet. 
um, uh, you add AI to that, uh, then they can be influenced at the speed of light. Now you can touch millions of people, literally billions of people, literally within seconds with dis and misinformation that can be pushed out. Um, and that, that, that's where it becomes very frightful is how it can be used politically and or be used by bad actors, including drug cartels and uh, criminal actors that also can, that have access to the technology as well. And Rex, given all these dangers and concerns, what are some of the steps to mitigate this or even counter it? Well, you know, the, you know, I, I'm not a big believer in regulation, you know, from, from the government side, other than if the technology can be harmful. I, and I think, I think where, where we need to draw that line is I think these companies do need to work with our government and people who understand the technology within our government, because you know, this hasn't worked out too well for us to try and regulate the internet, much less social media. We've had over 30 congressional hearings um, based on nefarious business practices employed by social media platform developers, such as uh, Meta, the developers of Facebook and Instagram. And even here lately, we saw the uh, TikTok uh, congressional hearings and nothing ever gets done. I do think there needs to be a moratorium on it to vet these things out before um, before uh, it's launched on a global basis. It's already launched on a global basis, but before it really starts to proliferate, um, and, and, and it's proliferating fast as, as we're speaking. And Rex Lee, thank you so much for your insights. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.